Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We have come today to worship God, the God of justice and mercy. We strive to be the human presence of Christ in the world. We confess that we do not always hear the voices that whisper from the margins. May God help us look and listen beyond our provincialism, because God's love welcomes all. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God has forgiven us. Let us share God's love with others, because the Spirit is at work healing and redeeming all. Let's lift our voices in praise to God. good day. On a rainy Sunday morning, I always wake up wondering who's going to choose to come to worship today, and I imagine it, who it is, and I think exactly of you. So welcome to this place where we meet God and we meet each other. As we gather for worship, we uh, welcome those who may be visiting among us. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you'd complete that and drop it in the plate, it'll help me connect name and face. But if there are any of you who would like to be prayed for this week, uh, if you can put a name and a need on that card, drop it in the plate, and it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you uh, every week. And so feel free to do that as well. As we listen to the handbells, my colleagues and I will ring several times today, and that's always a gift we have to give and enjoy. But also there will be texts, uh, texts like uh, the Gospel lesson where Jesus heals ten people but only one returns to give gratitude. Or like the Epistle lesson that will speak of the importance of loving God and loving one another. Or like the lesson we'll just hear in a moment from Jeremiah where he writes his colleagues in faraway exile and tells them don't just survive there but thrive there, embrace the exile, and give a gift and receive uh, in a faraway place. It could be that some of you feel in exile today due to health or due to the world in which we live. Well, there's a word for you. Let's listen as we open our hearts and our ears. Welcome. Our first lesson today is from Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 1 and verses 4 through 7. The prophet challenges the people in exile to bloom where they have been deported. 
These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Here ends the first lesson. Please pray with me. O oh Lord, on this crisp and cool fall morning, we have each come here this day to worship you, together as your people in this place. We come each from our own lives, our own homes, our own families, our own neighborhoods, to come here together, not as many, but now as one. One body, one church, one in many, as we bring our gifts of praise and thanks and prayer. Prayers we bring to you this day, O Lord. Prayers of thanksgiving for celebrations of new jobs and new relationships, for fall days and rain, and fun times with family and friends. Prayers for those in our lives and the life of this church who are sick and those who are recovering, for those who are in pain and in grief and those who are suffering, be it known to others or only to you. Prayers for the places in which we live, for our communities, our countries, and our world. Prayers in words yet to be spoken, but formed in the silence of our hearts, in our minds, and in our very breath. Prayers so many, so numerous, and yet, just now, just here, in this moment, are one. As your people, we pray together now and give thanks for another day that has dawned in peace. And we pray for the people of Syria and Kashmir and others who wake to another day of war and unrest and un upheaval. We pray for our nation where we enjoy safety, structure, and freedom. And we pray for our country's leaders. May they continue to lead our country with the wisdom, justice, and integrity necessary to ensure each and all may live in liberty and happiness. We pray and give thanks for those in our lives who have been healed of their illness, grief, and injury. And we pray for those in our lives who stand in need of your healing power, naming them to you now in the silence of our hearts. O oh Lord, in your mercy, hear these our prayers, one, many, and all. And now, together with the many disciples here this day and all over the world, let us lift our voices as one, boldly praying the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because we live in relationship to Jesus Christ, we are to live in harmony with one another. A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 8-15. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffered hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Here ends the second lesson. Children, would you all come forward at this time for our lesson? We'll meet right here. <laughs> Pastor Daniel has your offering plate if you brought an offering. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Well, this morning I wanted to talk to you all about a book that Pastor James gave me this week. I wanted to read it with you because I really liked it. It's all about church, and I love to talk about church. So I'm going to read you this book today. It's called A Church for All. You guys are behind me. I don't even have to read upside down. It says, Sunday waking. Day is breaking. Let's go to our church for all. Church bells ringing, joyful noises. Choir singing, laughing voices. Candles glowing, banners flowing, come. Enter our church for all. Weak and healthy, neat and messy. Poor and wealthy, plain and dressy. 
all embracing, spirit gracing, each one at our church for all. Bodies wiggling, mommies reading, children giggling, daddies pleading. Toddlers flailing, babies wailing, there's room at our church for all. Hands receiving, hands connecting. Hearts believing, hearts accepting. Feel the spirit. Can you hear it? Here's our last page. It's here at our church for all. I love this book because church is a place where we can all be, no matter who we are, and where we're from, and how we look, or how we're dressed, we're all here at God's Church for All. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for a place where all of us can be, and all of us can come to praise you. We thank you for what a wonderful place church is here and all over the world in all churches. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go. You guys are going to walk down with me today, our little ones. Jake.
through challenge, trust, and gratitude, our faith in God grows. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. As some of you know, I've started wearing hearing aids. And as some of you don't know, it's a real challenge to ring bells wearing hearing aids. And so there are some times that I've just explained to the audiologist, it's too much. It's too much. And that's not about my colleagues on either side. That's about the wrong bells that I ring. Well, here we are on this rainy Sunday. And uh, maybe it's because we are so near Halloween. But it just feels like everything is more haunted these days. I don't know if uh, you know, we could put our heads in the sand and not watch and not listen and not look, but it's a pretty haunted kind of time, it seems to me, that we live in. And I'm even haunted by the texts. The text from last week, Psalm 137, the psalm that starts with the psalmist singing this lament. You know, country music songs are about Love and loss, well, he wrote a country music song, 137, of the loss of his homeland. He looked around, he was 600, 700 miles away and far away Babylon, and nothing looked familiar. There was not a familiar terrain. There was not the familiar shadow of the temple. He was languishing in what wasn't there, and homesickness hung in his throat like his harp the harps on Babylon's river willow trees. And he sent out that plaintive sound. How can we sing the Lord's song in such a strange land? He looks around and says, this, is, this isn't Kansas. This isn't Canaan. This isn't anything familiar. And rather than hearing the sound of music, he heard the sound of silence. How do we sing the Lord's song as strangers in a strange land? Well, it feels like strange days to me. After all, what does it mean to be a Christian now, today? What does it mean to be a citizen now, today? Or a church now, today? 
It feels as if the boiling pot of anxiety that we live our lives in all week long kind of boils out from time to time. That boiling pot of anxiety is exactly where the text starts. The first one we heard from Jeremiah, that the pot of Israel, the people of Israel, and then the fire that's being turned up is the heat of Babylon. And when the pot and the heat come together, something boils over, and the Jews were they who did, who boiled over all the way to be exiled in far, far away Babylon, hundreds of miles away. However, this prophet Jeremiah writes them a letter, sends a card, and says, now, while you were there, while you were there, don't just survive, but rather thrive. You will be a minority, you will have no power, and all of your privilege will be taken away. However, don't just survive there, thrive there. But of course, we want to ask the question, well, what does that look like? What does thriving in a strange land look like? Well, take a minute and think about the last time you felt like a stranger in a strange land. It might be a week ago or years ago. For some, it may have been you were traveling in a far country. It was a beautiful day. You thought you'd just do a walkabout uh, outside the hotel, maybe just a uh, hundred yards or so, do the block. And you had gone maybe 200 steps and you looked and you couldn't recognize anything. And you felt lost. And you tried to ask for questions and nobody could speak the language, your language. Uh, you had forgotten to pick up one of those business cards on the concierge desk to say this is where, uh, where, point. You couldn't communicate, you wandered for an hour or two and finally you found your way back but you felt lost, a stranger in a strange land. I remember a time when I felt that as a kid. In the ninth grade, I spent some of the summer away from my home, and I was a little Baptist boy in a little bitty town in North Louisiana, but during the summer, I spent some time away. I went a long way away from home. I went to an outlandish place. I was part of an alien culture, and whatever they were speaking sure sounded like a foreign language to me. That's right, I went to the LSU campus in Baton Rouge, and I thought I'd landed on the other side of Mars. I was homesick and haunted by it. Well, if you can remember that feeling of being a stranger in a strange land, uh, then you're remembering 0.001% of what the Jews went through as they were deported to Babylon. Just a little Bible 101 to refresh your memory, that in the 700s, the 8th century BCE, there were two kingdoms of northern kingdom, southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom falls, so we set it aside. The southern kingdom with uh, its headquarters, its capital in Jerusalem, then falls in 587 BCE and is taken away the leaders, the politicians, the priests, the religious leaders, the business persons, all are taken away to far away Babylon. Now before, before Israel was, uh, or, or uh, Jerusalem was captured, prophets came to try to warn them. 
Jeremiah being one of them. Jeremiah's sermon was you're getting your rituals right and you're getting your relationships wrong. He tried to warn them and economic injustice and how they treated neighbors and friends and family were part of the issue, but they did not heed. One of his sermons basically said, exile is happening. In fact, you are already in exile while you are in your own front yard because your hearts are far from God. Well, there were plenty of false prophets around and they kept on preaching even when the leaders go to Babylon. Uh, I would call them prosperity prophets. Uh, these, you know, they're not, they're, they're not for profit prophets. Well, these are for profit prophets. And they are saying, now, don't, you who go, who've gone off to Babylon, this isn't going to take long. Don't unpack your suitcase. Just live out of the suitcase. Pretty soon you'll be back. Jeremiah said, do not listen to these prosperity prophets. It's going to take generations. In fact, it took 70 plus years. Three generations came and went before it was time to come home. But to them, Jeremiah speaks the truth. He writes this letter to these strangers in a strange land, tells them to thrive, not just survive, to embrace the exile. And we wonder, well, what does that look like? Well, it started with strong verbs. If you heard what was read from the first lesson, plant and eat, he said. Marry and birth babies, he said. Seek peace. Build houses and pray for the welfare of that foreign city. Pray for the place that you are in exile. Matter of fact, the first word of all of those words is the word pray. In this instance, for sure, prayer is a subversive action. Prayer is calling upon a power higher than the high and the powerful. Prayer transcends time and place, whether you're in Babylon or you are in Buckhead, whether you're in an ICU waiting room or in a boardroom, in a divorce court or the Supreme Court. It's kind of like that song, Open My Eyes That I Might See. Prayer not only helps do that, but it opens our eyes so that we can unsee to see with a different perspective from, from God's perspective. Prayer will help remember that there's an agenda afoot of a story arc that bends toward justice, like MLK Jr. put it, that is longer than the life expectancy of any generation or any state or any empire. It will outlast us all. It is bigger than any box we put God in. Prayer connects us with a presence beyond the present. There. Well, I believe it's a part of leadership, whether you're a leader of a corporation or leader of a congregation, that leadership serves as the immune system. That is, what does the immune system do? do? The immune system defines what is self and what is non-self what's a threat, and what is uh, nourishment. But the thing is, there's a lot of stuff out there that can trick our immune system. A virus, for instance, right? 
You take your vitamins, you eat the uh, uh, nourishing food, the probiotics, but those viruses, they are tricky. I'm kind of looking over at Jenny here. I'm not asking for an amen, but trivia question, does a virus, does a virus cell have a nucleus? And the answer is no. A cell without a nucleus. Where does it get that? Oh, it needs a host, like your lungs. Here is this pneumonia virus. It comes flying to the body, the, the, the firewall, the immune system goes, now wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not us, you're, you're something foreign here. And the protein covering of the virus goes, we're, we're, we're just like you, we're one of you. Just count, there's no problem here. The virus and, and the immune system goes, well, okay, we'll let you in. And then a week later, you're in Dr. Jenny's office trying to get some antibiotics because of the virus. Whatever leadership is, it's part of the immune system to warn about uh, opportunistic infections. In these anxious days, I think I and we are far more vulnerable to those. I want to mention one today and tell you 1% about it, and then you'll need to read on your own the 99%. I brought this up in the Wednesday study group, and they seem fascinated by this. It is, as I, the, the phrase that's given is the rise of Christian nationalism. The rise of Christian nationalism. Now, what could be wrong with that? We're Christian, right? We are patriotic Americans in this nation. Uh, so that's win-win, rise of Christian nationalism. But I say unto you, it is a virus that does not have a nucleus and seeks a host. I want you to be watching for that. One of the primary preach preaching leading uh, groups is a group that we've supported, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, headquartered in Washington, D.C., that their main job in life is First Amendment rights. The Art and Soul class will probably be discussing this in church school uh, in days following. The BJC, the Baptist Joint Committee, is leading Christians against Christian nationalism. They're Catholics, they're Pentecostals, they're Quakers, they're all sorts of folks that have joined in on this, uh, uh, this good group. James Dunn, if he were still around, he'd be the leader of the charge. He's preached in our pulpit. Amanda Tyler is the new director of the Baptist Joint Committee. She's preached in this pulpit. Brent Walker, the former director, preached here. Walter Brueggemann, who's United Church of Christ, but he's thrown his lot in and said, count me in as well. He preached from this pulpit seven years ago this week because he preached the funeral of Chris Graham in our sanctuary. And then, of course, <laughs> the, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, headquartered here in Atlanta, has said, count us in. We are one of those, Christians against Christian nationalism. Now, just between us, the, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship has not taken as many prophetic stands as I think they should or we should, but they've taken one here. Count us in. We don't want that either, plus the Alliance of Baptists. Bill Leonard, who taught some of you in Southern Seminary or Wake Forest uh, years ago, colleague to Larry McSwain, he has spoken about this as well. The way he said it, and he's preached in our church, 
The way he said it is, what has waned is Protestant privilege. Now some of these are terms you're gonna to have to go think about, Protestant privilege. What it feels like is the diminishment of religious liberty, but it is not. It's Protestant privilege that we've enjoyed for, well, centuries, I guess. I guess Roman Catholics were able to enjoy more of it since John F. Kennedy, more in profile and more mainstream. But it's Protestant privilege, he says. He said it is bad for Christians and it is bad for nationalism. It makes us less and more myopic Christians and makes uh, uh, nationalism or patriotism side with one religion more than another. Roger Williams, who's pictured up there in that, uh, that window, it looks like the middle window, it looks like Roger Williams is walking through the snowstorm going to speak to the Indians in Providence, in Providence. And as he does, he says that there will not, or there will be room at the table for everyone, including the Papist, that'd be Roman Catholics, Protestants, that'd be us, Jews, or Turks, that would be Muslims, or those with no faith at all, all will be welcome. Now you also have to think about the notion of tolerance. And we say, well, we tolerate others. I mean, you know, uh, all are welcome at the table and, 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 and we have wide tolerance. But listen to our language. It's not the knights of the round table. There's a head table. There's a head to it. And we Christians sit at the table because, well, we act like it's our table. Now, they're welcome to come to our table because we tolerate. Our tolerance is wide. But I've stopped using that word. John Meacham has helped me with that. I'd rather use the word religious liberty and equality. It's all right to welcome people has gotten in the water as long as we leverage that when it comes to government, it's a certain type of Christian way. Now, this is different than civil religion. That's a noble word a lot of us grew up with as well. That's been in the water since the beginning, that those fleeing religious persecution sought a place of safety. And so that's been in the groundwater since we started this country. The notion of providence has helped us uh, uh, get there. Nature's God is in some of the original founder, founding documents. That's all civil religion that works for all, or what the Creator has given us with inalienable rights as the Bill of Rights say. It was not until the second and third generations of after the founders came along that words started being used like Judeo-Christian heritage or that we are a Christian nation. From the beginning, it was pluralistic. Now this is delicate. This requires a lot of deep dive thought. This balance in the First Amendment is both establishment warning but free exercise offering. And those notions are in paradox. That's why I call it a delicate balance. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, you see. So we have to study what that means as we live our lives. I think some things have also bolstered this notion of Christian nationalism. Rapid change has. Man, have we not seen some change in our lifetimes, no matter how old you are? 
My father, who died at 90 and been dead 11 years, said, yeah, in my life we went from the ox carts to the space shuttles. That's a lot of transition to change. Uh, no wonder we want to clutch the familiar. Or what about the information overwhelm, overwhelming and overload that we've had? There's more to know than ever before, and the more we know, the more we are frightened by what we know. What about authority? I went to school in the 60s, and you come to undergraduate or graduate school, and basically you say to the professors, you know a lot more than I do. I am here to humbly learn. For those of you who work with graduate students, are they that way? They are not that way. Thank you, I see that wag. They are not that way. It's, I come in knowing a lot, and professor, you need to listen to everything I know. Or even when I go see the doctor, I say, now I've got some questions. After all, I've already looked this up on WebMD. Authority is very different now, and of course there is race, and I think that's probably the engine that's driving a lot of it. Because soon, as you've seen the statistics, it will not, we will not, people that look like me will not be in the majority much longer in this country. There's the browning of America, and with that browning comes diversity, and who doesn't say they want that, but who in their hearts is fearful of that majority? And I think that's a part of the story. I was looking back this week, and in uh, mid-November, it was November the 10th, 2016, I wrote you all a pastoral epistle. You know, Paul did that. He wrote congregations because he loved congregations. It was November the 10th, November 2016. And I said several things about some challenges are going to be ahead for us as we live with a diversity in America that some of us didn't know until we know. Here's one of the paragraphs I wrote three years ago. Whatever else pastoring has taught me, it has taught me that people cannot be made to come together. And even on November the 10th, 2016, there was a lot of talking heads. So, well, we just need, we need to unify. We need to come together. No, I pastor too long. Knowing this, I said, pastors sit with people where they are. We take stands, we speak, we listen, we pray, we ponder. And if there is a coming together, it is because something bigger is at work, usually the Holy Spirit. Whichever side of the political fence each NDBC member may be on, there is only one pasture and the fence line runs down in the middle. The pasture belongs to God and we are all God's sheep, regardless of which side of the fence line we sit on. Three years ago. Yeah. We are all God's sheep, but even God's sheep get sick. And it's important for us who are leaders to be a part of the immune, immune system to say, watch out for these things that look like us, sound like us, but aren't. It's coming from a different place. Even God's sheep get sick, like these 10 who were sick in the gospel lesson. They were homesick, they were fearful, and they call on Jesus to heal them because they were persons with leprosy. Just like you and I, we may be rich or we may be poor, we may have this or that, but in the ICU waiting room, we're all alike. 
in our fear and in our attempting to be faith. They had found the common ground of their illness and of their desperation. They call out on Jesus and Jesus heals them all even, even with their ethnic diversity because at least one is a Samaritan and would never be caught with the rest of these who are Jews, nor they with him, but are on the common ground of problems. They're all healed, nine keep going, one turns back to say thank you. It's a little bit of a Greek word uh, different, difference, I can't explain it, but uh, Steve Sheely would be glad to after a worship. That all are healed, that is their symptoms disappear. But the one who comes back and gives thanks is made whole. Wow, how about that? That, that? that added ingredient of gratitude that makes for wholeness. So he left there, and we'll leave here in just a bit. We'll, we will re-enter the same world we left an hour ago. Its politics probably hadn't changed very much. Its polarization is probably not that different. But you and I have been in here with each other and with God. We have paused together to be grateful for the gift of life this day. You and I have paused together and re-upped to pray for the grit, to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Like Jeremiah put it, plant vineyards, eat its produce, build houses, live lives that seek to thrive. Each of you live thriving lives, not just survive. There's much to do in exile. There's much to learn. Amen. Thank you for that word, James, and uh, for the words of Jesus and the sermon that calls us to a greater wholeness, that calls us to thriving in the land of exile. I can think of no better clarion call than getting clear about the name of Jesus and calling upon the name of Jesus. We'll sing hymn 112. Verse 2 says, no, vo no voice can sing, no heart can frame, nor can the mind recall a sweeter sound than thy blessed name. O Savior of us all. We'll sing hymn 112, and as we sing, let's stand together.
bring a few announcements and celebrations and concerns to you this morning. Still have a lot of these things I'll be talking about in the pinnacle that's available in the narthex as you leave the hard copy. Get a copy. And I'll tell you about things like the fact that Laura and Carson Fushi will be here. You may know Laura's Laura Wheeler when she was here. They'll be here on Sunday, November 3rd. Information about that, we'll be announcing it in the next few weeks. Church Council will meet tomorrow night. Later this week on Thursday at Temple Sinai in Sandy Springs, James will be a panelist uh, at the Interfaith Mental Health Conversation. If you'd like to know more about that, it's inside the Pinnacle. This Friday is the first Family Discipleship Night at 6.30. Andrea and I will be leading that for parents and families. We still need a couple of volunteers to help out. So if you're free on Friday night between 6.30 and 8.30, could you let me or Andrea know? We'd love to have you to help out uh, with some things we have planned that evening. This coming Sunday is Church and Conference. That will be directly after the worship service. A light lunch will be uh, given to those in attendance, and if you could RSVP, that would help us in preparing. Thank you. Finally, we, we don't normally say uh, out loud who uh, donated the flowers, but I wanted to call attention to this week's uh, flower donation. It is Lois and Hardy Pickering, and Lois and Hardy Pickering uh, celebrated their 70th anniversary, their 70th wedding anniversary this week, so we celebrate with them and uh, what a delight, 70 more on the way. Wow, sometimes humor doesn't go over well in this room. <laughs> Wanna bring a few concerns to you this morning. Um, Muriel Hardy, who's the mother of Valerie Hardy, is back in the hospital. She's been hospitalized at Eastside in Snellville with some cardiac issues. It's been a very tough week for uh, both Muriel and her daughter, Valerie. We ask for prayers for them. For Jada Getze, who was hospitalized in Franklin, North Carolina this week for some medical issues. She was on vacation with her family when some medical issues presented. We pray for her quick discharge and healing. Our handbell choir, which has graced us so much this morning, will help us to continue worship with Hymn Fest, which I'm told includes 16 different hymns and a prize will be given to the person who identifies correctly all 16 hymns whispered in my ear in the narthex at the end. Help us to continue our worship.
your presence this morning. We've been renewed by word, by sermon, by handbell, by music, by organ, by the invisible working of your grace and power in our lives. May you continue to renew us, and may we use these gifts that we offer to you this morning. May they be redeemed for service in your kingdom, in furtherance of your will. In Christ's name, amen. By the grace of God, you have been kept all the day long, even until this hour. And by the love of God, fully redeemed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed. Amen. Amen. 